Well, like Tom Petty said, sometimes you're a rock and sometimes you're a diamond. And I think often when we come face to face with those rock-like, coal-like moments in our life, we can be embarrassed. Ah, I didn't mean to lose my temper. Or honey, I'm, ah, I didn't want to make you cry. But when our circumstances and when people bring up what we did wrong, the way we misbehaved, the way we were arrogant or critical or annoyed, when we see our coal-like behavior, there's shame and there's blame, there's defensiveness associated with that. And I think for many of us, we think to ourselves, hey, you know what, a piece of coal isn't something people want. And you're embarrassed and justified and excuse your coal-like behavior. I know I do. But here's the powerful principle today. That being a piece of coal, having coal-like behavior, you know, messing up, screwing up, having some black dust all around yourself occasionally. Being a piece of coal is a prerequisite to being formed into a diamond. Right? Diamonds come from coal. So if you've got mistakes, if you've got rough edges, if you've got a lot of things you're not proud of, you're in a perfect place to be formed by God. In fact, that's exactly what God says as he's talking to his people in the last book of the Old Testament known as Malachi. Here's what he says. We're in chapter 3, verse 17. They, these are his people who are doing all kinds of terrible things, we're going to find out. Then they, even in their coal-like behavior, shall be mine. My love hasn't changed. I wasn't shocked to find, I'm not proud of this, I don't like that they're doing this, but I'm not shocked to find out that my people are acting inappropriately. They're still mine. And on that day, I'm going to make them my jewels. I'm going to form them into diamonds. And I will spare them the consequences of their actions. As a man spares his own son who serves him, then they again on that day will be able to discern between right and wrong, between righteous and wickedness. See, before you can learn how to do something right, you have to understand that what you're doing is wrong. Before you can change your beliefs to something that is more healthy, you have to recognize the ones that are unhealthy. So today in our series on diamonds, we're going to find out what it means to be shaped or turned into the, to the diamond God wants us to be and how that affects our view of God, our view of ourself, and how we interact with other people. Let me give you three coal-like applications today. Now the first one is this, right? Before you can become a diamond, you need to recognize your coal-like behaviors. You got to be able to like specifically know, oh, that's one of those areas I need to be shaped or formed in. So the book of Malachi is really interesting. The reason it's interesting is because it's almost like a series of debates. It's like a lawyer coming to his people and saying, you've said so-and-so, but I'm telling you such and such. You say so-and-so, but I'm telling you such and such. So God is coming to his people in their coal-like moments and almost like building a lawyer's case against them so they can finally see the coal-like behavior that they're justifying and that they're excusing, right? And he wants to do the same thing to us, not because he's mad at us. He wants to help us be shaped into a diamond. So let me give you three aspects of those coal-like behaviors that they're not able to see right now. What's the first one? Suspiciousness versus thankfulness. 
God wants us to be in the diamond formation of living life with thankfulness. So the opening book of Malachi, here's what he says. I have loved you, says the Lord. Look how much patience I've given you. Look how much I provided for you. And you have said to me, when well, what way have you loved us? So again, God does point. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's the counterpoint. You don't even see the ways I love you. You don't even see the ways I provided for you. You're not thankful for all I've done. You're suspicious, right? Look what it said. In what ways have you loved us? How have you ever taken care of us? What have you ever done? And you know, I can see that in my kids when they were young. Kids when they become teenagers, they don't appreciate all the things we do. But sometimes I never thought about the fact that I do the same thing to God. I think about all things he hasn't done instead of thanking him for all things he has done. That's called like behavior. Not being thankful for all the bounty, all the generosity, all the graciousness, all the kindness and opportunity that God has given to us. But there's a second thing he mentions here. Selfishness versus generosity. It kind of builds on this, right? When you're not thankful, you're usually selfish, self-centered, self-focused. It's a very coal-like behavior. A son, God says, honors his father and a servant honors his master. It's kind of normal behavior. That's how you're supposed to act toward your father or toward your boss. If I then am your father, where's my honor? I don't feel a lot of love coming this way. In what way have we defiled you? And see the counter? He says, I'm saying, where's my honor? You're going to say, well, what way have we done that? You got defensive. You make excuses. So God then rebuttals their defense and says, well, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is that not evil? Offer it to your governor. (laughs) Would he be pleased with you? And what does that mean? Well, you were supposed to give God your very best. Bring the best of your lamb to sacrifice. It was a way of saying, God, you have given me your best And I want to just give a percentage of my best back to you to say I love you and I appreciate you and I want to be generous to you just like you were generous to me. And God is saying, but that's just normal. We honor each other to show thankfulness. But you're not doing that to me. You're giving me not your best lambs or your best oxen. You're taking the lame, the sick, The broken ones and saying, I couldn't get a lot of money off this one if I tried to sell it at the local marketplace. We'll just give it to God. And God's like, why don't you try doing that to your president or your mayor? Or why don't you try doing that to your boss? Give him a lame gift for Christmas this year. How's he going to respond? The same way I'm responding. This is coal-like behavior. You're selfish. You're not being generous. Now, this is quite a challenge. Because God wants all of us to live incredibly generous lives responding to his generosity to us. But there's something in us that gets defensive and there's something in us that misses out on how selfish we're being, let alone how generous we could be. I had the opportunity recently to uh, sit down with some folks. It's during this COVID pandemic. I'm meeting with people often outside in in our big tent. Now, if you haven't been to the church, just outside the office, back by the lower lake, we have a tent set up. And that tent is something we're using for services. We're using it on Sunday mornings for our equipping service, as well as using it for our exploring service. But I'm actually using it to meet with people. 
So in this tent where people are worshiping and singing songs to God and where people are just being together with masks on to be back at church during this time, I've used it just to sit down one-on-one with folks who want some pastoral uh, advice. But during this time, it's been amazing to see something that's in you and me, which is that tendency to not see our own selfishness. I recently was sitting under the tent and talking to a guy who shared with me that he had started, in his words, walking down the path to an affair. I said, well, tell me more about that. And by the time he got done, he didn't just start down the path to an affair. He was like almost all the way down having built a relationship, some flirty texts, planned to get together, and made hotel reservations. And I'm like, I don't think you've just started your way down to the affair. Scale one to ten, how concerned are you about this? He says, oh, about a five out of ten. And we talked together for about an hour. And I just started asking him questions about faithfulness, about whether or not he was putting suspicion or trust into his relationship. And as we start talking, about an hour into it, he says, wow, I'm being really selfish, aren't I? Like, yeah. But it took a gracious environment where I loved him and cared for him and just gently asked questions for him to finally see that what he was doing was not just a little serious, it was huge seriousness, right? And that's what God wants to do for you and I. He wants us to create an environment like that tent was that day. Or somebody cares enough about you to challenge you, to push you, to to deal with your own selfishness. So when you recognize what you're doing is wrong, you can move toward what's right. In fact, it's in that tent we've been doing worship services. We've seen people recognize their selfishness, like I just mentioned. But I've also seen incredible generosity. A few weeks ago, somebody came up to me and said, Hey, this tent has been so amazing in allowing us to double or triple our capacity here during the last six weeks. Is this something we're renting or something we're buying? I said, well, we've been renting it, but we think it's going to be such a great tool for the future. We're thinking about buying it. He said, well, wow. Do you guys have financial needs right now as a church? I said, we sure do. I mean, ultimately, like many of you in business, we're trying to do some smart planning, right? We've got a few critical hires that we're trying to maybe postpone, just like you might be doing but we also know that they're critical to our future and moving forward. We got new tools as we're doing online services, uh, updating our app, and also now having tents so people can start coming back to church. So I shared with him the tools and said, we need your gifts, maybe not specifically for the tent, but that's one area, just all the ways you can provide financially to God's work. And he said, well, I want to be part of that. And maybe you do too. It may not be the tent. It just might be, wow, I want to give back to God, not just a a sliver of the income I have, but I want to give back to God the best offerings, the best sheep, and the best oxen. Because God would say, give unto me like you'd give unto your governor, unto your mayor, unto your boss. Honor me. And allow the generosity in your heart to pour out of you as you understand how much I love you and have taken care of you. So coal-like behavior. Sometimes it's selfishness, sometimes it's suspicion. But there's one more he mentions here. He says one of your coal-like behaviors is being treacherous versus cherishing. God takes how we treat our family members very, very seriously. And he addressed that here. When you treat the people in your life, your kids, your parents, 
those you say you love treacherously, you don't, you're not kind to them or loving to them. God takes it pretty seriously. Look what he says here. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? Yet you say, well, what are you talking about? What reason would you think I was dealing treacherously with my wife or my son or my daughter? Well, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you've dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and the wife by covenant. Now, one of the things that's probably driven you crazy, you don't want to be a Christian, I don't want to be a God follower, I don't believe in the Bible, because I see so many Christians who live hypocritical lives. I see how they talk to their husbands or their kids or their parents. I don't want to have anything to do with that, right? If you felt that way, you're in tune with God who is saying, I take very seriously how you treat your family members. And I see it. And I'm a witness against that. You need to address this and address it now. Now this isn't just finger pointing to other people. Well, I'm guilty of this. Maybe you are too. What do you need forgiveness for? What are those coal-like behaviors in your life? You say, God, I'm sorry I'm not living more thankful. I've been complaining all the time. Or maybe you say, God, I've been suspicious of who you are or the people in my life. God, I need to be more generous with my time, more generous with my patience, and yes, more generous with my money. To you, maybe at Horizon is part of that, to other people, to other areas where there's needs right now. But God, forgive me for my coal-like behavior. I want to commit to being more generous in my life. But maybe God is saying it's time to look in the mirror. It's time to say, are you treating your spouse, your kids, in a cherished way, in a kind way, in a loving way? Do you lose your temper? And who wouldn't in these circumstances? These have been a challenging six months. But have you allowed those challenges to treat the people you say you love in a treacherous way? God would say, yeah, you have. It's time to apologize. It's time to own it's time to make things right. So again, forming ourselves into a diamond begins with recognizing your coal-like behavior. The second thing, though, is God wants to increase your coal dust quota. Right? So it's one thing to deal with your own coal dust. It's another thing to see other people's coal dust. Oh, they annoy me so much. Oh, they drive me crazy. Oh, I can't believe he said that. She did that. I can't believe it. It just drives me crazy. I'm so arrogant. I'm so mad. I'm so self-righteous because I'm less patient with the mistakes that other people do than I am when I do the same thing, right? That self-righteousness is a lack of quota. I can only take so much from them. God wants to increase your cold dust quota for others that you can forgive others what they're doing wrong as you see how much God's forgiven you what you've done wrong. And look how he dresses this in Malachi. You have wearied, wearied the Lord with your words. You say you want to do something, but you don't do it. You make promises, you don't come through with it. Yet you say, well, in what ways are we wearied him? See that justification, rationalization again? And I say to you, everyone who does evil 
is good in the sight of the Lord and delights in them? Or where is the God of justice? You're saying things like, oh, God doesn't mind if we do evil. It's all good. Or you're saying, God delights in us when we're doing bad things. Well, no, God delights in you, but he doesn't delight in your bad things. And where's the God of justice? He's not going to call us on this. He's not going to make a big deal about this. And God's like, what? The amount of stuff I'm forgiving you for is growing and growing and growing and growing. And that, again, is the secret to increasing your quota with other people's bad behavior. You've got to get in the mirror and say, God, help me see how much you've forgiven me for. The dust, coal dust quota I've given you. Oh, wow. I have rationalized and excused and I have circled the wagons and tried to say that what I was doing wasn't a big deal. God said, that's right. And I'm still here and I still love you and I'm still forming you. But in light of what I've done to you, I want you to do the same to others. Right? That's why he says here, Behold, I will send my messenger, the Messiah, the final forgiver and the final fixer of the world, my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This is ultimately going to be John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. Where God came from heaven to earth to come and die to forgive all the coal dust behaviors you and I have so that when we receive that and believe that in our life and it really kind of sinks down into your heart you want to do unto others what God did unto you in fact interesting I heard a story recently about somebody in our church who did exactly that I was talking to a friend of mine she called up after last week's message and said Chad I have been praying for God to help me be more patient and kind and forgiving to this rival at work who just has been after me for years right yeah I'm like wow and I've been talking to my small group I've been asking in Bible study praying personally God help increase my coal dust quota she didn't say it that way but that's what she's asking for toward this person well this circumstance came up that gave a perfect opportunity it was one of those awkward awkward moments my friend's rival was writing an email trashing her to several other people in the company. But she made the mistake of sending it to my friend, not to the friends in the company. So my friend gets this scathing email, just scathing. And the email is describing all the things this rival thinks of her in the most nasty of tone. Oh, my friend is crushed. I know she didn't like me, but wow, was that hateful. She called her up on the phone. She says, I just got this email from you. That's how you think of me? And her friend, the, her friend, the rival, is like so embarrassed that suddenly how she feels, what she thinks, this totally inappropriate behavior was sent to the person she was talking about. Well, she begins to apologize. I am so sorry. I shouldn't have sent this. It's one of those apologies, you know, we've all done it. And the apology is, I'm sorry I got caught. Not really, I'm sorry about how I feel or what I said. But again, she's apologizing and goes on for several minutes about, so sorry that happened, so sorry I said that, I shouldn't have done that, blah, 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 blah. She finally comes to a pause point. She turns to my friend and says, well, what do you have to say about this? Kind of 
waiting for her to just come back at her with a bazooka. My friend said, I felt like God gave me a simple phrase. And I just said to her, listen, we all fail. And we all make mistakes. And this rival was like, wow. That might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I don't deserve that right now. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve to be let off the hook for what I've done. And as I was talking to my friend, I said, wow, did that come from you? She's like, it didn't come from me. That was like, I I had access to some other power source because I had some things I wanted to say. But God was increasing her quota in that moment toward other people's horrible coal dust moment, right? That's what God does for us. When we recognize what he's forgiven us for, we can do the same to others. And let's face it, we'd all be embarrassed if our worst moments were shown on the video screen at church or somebody overheard them, right? In fact, several years ago, it's probably been long enough that I can tell you about it. Uh, several years ago, we had a, uh, one of our pastors who got a phone call. It felt like, like a hostage phone call. Like, you know, the voice wasn't quite near the phone, but they were screaming and yelling in the background. So he picks up the phone and he recognizes the number. It was a, a couple at our church. He said, I wonder if they're in trouble. So he's listening just for a, a little bit, trying to figure out, is this a, an emergency? After about 20 seconds, he realizes there was no hostage situation. The people weren't in danger. One of the couple had butt-dialed him in the middle of the most horrific argument he'd ever heard. So quick hangs up the phone, embarrassed on their behalf that they don't realize in the middle of this ferocious blaming and screaming at one another, one of them had butt-dialed a pastor, right? Now listen, we've all been there. We've all got moments we wouldn't want on tape. We wouldn't want people to witness or hear. We come to church and we dress up and try and look really, really good. But the truth is, we got a lot of coal-like behavior. And until we look that in the mirror and realize how God works with us to shape us and form us, what's called grace, we're never going to increase our coal dust quota toward others until we realize how much he's forgiven us. Think of that, for example. Imagine every, every worst conversation, worst moment you've had in the last just year played over the phone to a friend, to a pastor, put on a video screen at church. Wouldn't you suddenly be filled with either shame or humility? God wants it to be humility because he says, I've forgiven you for it, but we've got to work on this stuff together and stop being so self-righteous toward others when you do the same thing. So to be formed into a diamond, we've got to recognize the third thing. And what's that? The third aspect is embracing the tools that God uses to form us into diamonds. What are those? Well, it's pressure. God uses pressure in our life. In our relationships at work, we go, wow, i got to deal with some of the stuff that's driving other people crazy. It's time. Over time, you get married, you have kids, you see your weaknesses in them. But here's the real secret. The main tool God uses for sustainable diamond formation is the proper environment. What do I mean? When you know you're fully and completely accepted, that's grace. It's unconditional love. 
It's when you're fully forgiven and fully accepted, you can then extract the shame and go, all right, if I'm loved no matter what, I'll bring some of this coal-like material out into the proper environment of grace, and I need to start letting you work on it because I've tried working on it. It hasn't worked, right? That's exactly what he says here in Malachi. After all these chapters of you're doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, he says, but... I'm going to do something in you if you'll trust in me. Then, when you fear the Lord, when you trust in him, the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened to them. He listens when we say, I gotta work on this, I need help. So a book of remembrance was written before him to those who fear the Lord and who meditate or think about or ruminate on his name. They shall be mine. Look at that love there. They, despite all they've done, will be mine. I love them. Even with everything they've done wrong. Unconditional love. And out of that work of his unconditional love, he says, and on that day when you trust me in my love, I will make them my jewels, my diamonds. And I will spare them. Religion is the opposite of Christianity. Now, now in what way? Because in religion, we try and make ourselves into diamonds. I got to work myself out of this. I got to fix this. But the Bible, it doesn't say here, we make ourselves into diamonds. It says we admit we're coal. And we ask God to make us into diamonds. Right? Look at the verb tense he uses again. I, God, will make you into a jewel. I will spare you as a man. And look what he says here. As a man spares his own son who serves him. God will ultimately not spare his son, Jesus, so that he can spare you and I to serve him. Jesus had to die for our coal-like behavior to create the proper environment that we could be formed into a diamond by his grace. He goes on, then in that day you'll be able to discern between the right and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Which brings us to the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. What's the last thing God said before 400 years go by and Jesus shows up? What's our key takeaway today? God is wants us to turn ourselves back into a deeper connection with one another. Relationships matter that much to God that's the last thing he said in the last book of the Old Testament. What if you and I ask God to turn our hearts to one another as you realize the diamond-forming work he's done in you? Look what it says, the last verse of the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So before God comes and makes everything right at the end of time, he sends someone to lead us and to guide us. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's the last verse of the Bible in the Old Testament. God wants you and I to turn our hearts one another. What if you begin to ask God, God, breathe life back into my marriage. Turn my heart toward my spouse during this difficult time. Because of what you've done by forming the diamond in me, I want to be patient with them. I want to not give up on my son or daughter. 
even though they're driving me crazy and they've said some mean stuff and they've, they've kept me from the grandkids. Ask God specifically to turn your heart to one another, to one specific person in light of what he's done for you. It's when we wear the, the jewel, the diamond God's done in us of hope, we're able to do that. In fact, one of my favorite stories, kind of family folklore, turned out to be true, was that my, my grandmother used to go and sing and travel around for all the different uh, armed forces all around the country. One day, she was up in Washington, D.C. When she was there at this big fundraiser singing for the troops, the person who owned the Hope Diamond was there. And apparently, they really liked my grandmother singing. So during this dance and party at the end of the evening, they came out before her and they opened the Hope Diamond and said, Eileen, do you want to wear this for the evening? Oh, I could never wear that. Right? That's, that's what I would think. Oh, my goodness. My grandmother had somebody put the Hope Diamond over her neck for an evening with other people. I remember hearing that story for the first time like, wow, I've heard of the Hope Diamond and I certainly love my grandmother. I just never put the two together. Think about how valuable grandma must have felt that evening. How affirmed and esteemed she must have felt that evening. It's like, whatever else is going on tonight, I don't care because I'm wearing the Hope Diamond. It's kind of the same idea. When you realize that the king of the universe has put the hope, the real true Hope Diamond of full forgiveness, one day dealing with evil, dealing with guilt and shame around your neck, you can turn your hearts to one another and say, I'll be patient with, with whoever, my son-in-law, my uncle, my cousin, my colleague, my rival, because look what God has given to me. In fact, maybe you want just that. You want to ask God to do in you what he did in the book of Malachi. Let me pray with you and for you. Here's a way to do that. You can close your eyes if it's helpful, and, and if not, just say these words in your own heart. God, thank you for not sparing your son, but allowing him to die for me, for all my coal-like behavior. God, turn my hearts to others in light of the forgiveness you've done for me. Help me to be more generous with my time more generous with my money, and more generous with my grace. In Jesus' name, amen.